the vision and the ministry of uh, the gathering with your gifts and your service and your giving. We appreciate it so much. We're, we're incredibly blessed these days, aren't we? And we're so grateful to God for all of that. Last week, we dug deep into the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 or your Bible app, and let's have the text in front of us. Uh, If you're one of many in our new church uh, who are new to the Bible, just remember that every good book has a table of contents, and the Bible has one. And if you ever get stuck, you don't know where a Bible book is, feel no shame about turning to the table of contents so that you can find that book and open up the text in front of you so that you have it in front of you. Uh, It's the Word of God that has authority. Preachers don't have much authority, but the Word of God is powerful. And uh, so that's why we we keep talking about having the Word in front of us. Uh, And if you don't, 1 Peter is in the New Testament. It's the seventh book from the end. So if you go right to the end of the table of contents, you find Revelation. Just go back up to to 1 Peter. And in my Bible, it's uh, page 1014. Is that helpful to you? No, not at all. Okay, so let's just have a quick look at these verses from 1 Peter chapter 3 that we covered last week. It said, likewise, wives. So he's drawing on uh, the end of 1 Peter chapter 2 where he presents the general principle of submission and then says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So we worked our way through that passage and By the grace of God, the response by the women in our church was overwhelmingly positive. And not a single one threw an egg or rotten tomato at me. (laughs) Submission is not easy, is it? For any of us, submission is not easy. But it's not a four-letter word either. It's not a bad thing. In fact, none of us, none of us can, can live the Christian life with any sense of victory, without surrender, without submission. So it really applies to all of us. The portrait of biblical womanhood that Peter gave us last week, the the portrait that he revealed, was a portrait of hope in God. It was a portrait of fearlessness, because this woman really believes in in the promises of God and the Word of God, and so that drives out fear in her life. It was a portrait of inner beauty, remember? and also a portrait of submissiveness. So Peter took six verses to paint this beautiful picture of biblical womanhood, and he he carefully and graciously explained the responsibilities and obligations that a Christian wife should should take on with joy. And then, now, in verse 7, with laser-like precision, he takes aim at the boys, at the husbands, and says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, 
Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So you see, fellas, if you don't treat your wife right, your spiritual life suffers. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't treat her according to the prescription that God has given us. Now, back then, when Peter's writing this letter, back then, men had most of the privilege and women had most of the responsibility. And Nancy's thinking to herself, not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? Yeah. But it was very lopsided back then. Women had absolutely no rights whatsoever. But along comes this new Christian ethic that turns everything upside down and inside out. You remember how the disciples kind of scorned Jesus or scolded him for speaking to a woman? You just don't do that. Women are not to be, I mean, they're to serve. They're not to talk to them. You know, just let them serve. So it was very, very lopsided, very jaded, very wonky back then. Along comes this new Christian ethic, turns everything upside down, or at least it's supposed to, and, and turns everything inside out, or at least it's supposed to. And likewise... Verse 7 begins, likewise husbands. So just like wives have responsibilities and they have obligations under God, likewise, so do the husbands. They have duties and obligations also in this covenant-keeping relationship called marriage. No longer should marriage be lopsided. The husband has obligations also that he must fulfill. Well, what are they? Obligation number one, live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, the Greek term in the New Testament means simply to dwell together. That's simple enough. Live together with your wife. Dwell together with your wife. But it means more than just living under the same roof. There's a a closeness There's an an, an intimacy, there's a depth to this word. And and you see, the husband is responsible for that. The husband is responsible for that intimacy, for that depth. So he needs to get in touch with his emotional side and learn what this means, to live with, to dwell with. He needs to live with his wife. He needs to be at home with his wife. He needs to be all there with his wife, and live with her in an understanding way. Which, of course, raises the question, can a man ever really understand a woman? Right? Is that not the mystery of the ages, guys? Is this not, is this not something of, a, of an impossibility? Are the ways of a woman beyond understanding? Aren't they beyond comprehension? Well, popular culture would have us believe that, of course. But listen, fellas, God would never tell us to live with our wives in an understanding way if it were not possible. He doesn't tell us, he doesn't command us to do something that is impossible to do. So it's entirely possible for a Christian man to live with his wife in an understanding way. 
Now, understanding Wade doesn't mean that he understands everything there is to understand about a woman. I think that is impossible. But to live with her in an understanding way, entirely possible. By the power of the Spirit of God, through the encouragement that comes to us, through the God-breathed Word of God, it's entirely possible for us to live with our wives in an understanding way. God equips us to do that. So, fellas, we need to understand what our wives need from us. How many times have you felt like, just tell me what you need and I'll, I'll do that? You know, but for some reason, they, they don't. They just, they want you to read between the lines. Right, Dara? If I have to tell you, it takes all the fun out of it. Now, my wife has never said that to me, but I, I have heard that other wives have said that to their guys. We need to understand what our wives need from us and then deliver. We need to deliver on that. Relevant magazine carried an article a couple of years ago that was really helpful to me and um, haven't put it all into practice yet. I just want to say because my wife is right here. Uh, But I've learned from it and I want to share some of the ideas from it with you. Initially, we must understand her need for honesty. Proverbs 24, 26. More than any other trait, I'm told that a woman wants her man to be open and honest. Is that right, ladies? He communicates honestly with his girlfriend, his fiancée, his wife. Honesty is a sign of security. And most women yearn for security in a relationship. So men, it's time to stop pretending... And start being real. Be real with your strengths and your weaknesses and your struggles. Be real about your hopes and your dreams and your fears. Because a a man who has nothing to hide, he's open and honest with his wife, provides a place for her to hide her heart. She can park her heart in an environment of openness and honesty. Next, we must understand her need for purity. Guys, would you read this verse with me out loud? Ephesians 5.3. Let's read it together. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Wow. Not even a hint. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Not one that I created, though. It comes from God himself. We live in a society that has fooled us into thinking that women have absolutely no control over their emotions and guys have absolutely no control over their lust. And both of those things are absolutely false. That is a lie that comes right from the pit. But it's part of our, it's part of our culture. People just believe that. And so they make all kinds of compromises for one another because of those truths. Women can't control their emotions. Men can't control their lust. That's a lie. There's no doubt that we live in a world full of sexual temptation and a world that is full of emotional struggle. But it is also true that we serve a God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. So, honor your wife. 
Steer clear of pornography and every other form of sexual impurity. And you will honor her. And she will love you for it. Furthermore, we must understand her need for strength. Joshua 1.9. There's nothing better than a man who exudes strength. And I'm not talking about the muscle rippling kind of strength that I have. <laughs> Don't laugh so hard. Come on. I'm, ta- I'm talking about strength of mind, right? Strength of heart, strength of spirit. I'm talking about strength of character. Women want men who have strong character. A strength that comes from a man who knows what he believes and stands firm for what's right. A strength in recognizing right from wrong and confessing when he participates in the latter. A a strength that is confident enough to do right and choose right and be right. Fellas, your wife deserves a man who has strong faith in Jesus. What's more, we need to understand her need for compassion. Oh, just look at Matthew 9.36. When he, meaning Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm not suggesting for a split second that women are helpless. But your wife is looking for compassion. She's looking for tenderness that is coupled with strength. She's looking for love because that is the heart of Jesus. She's looking for a man who reflects Jesus to her. So be Jesus with skin on to your wife. Does that make sense? You're not sure? Okay. I'm losing my audience. It's getting tougher. Likewise, we need to understand her need for humility. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, the Lord Jesus, will exalt you. Jesus was the perfect example of humility, was he not? Perfect example of humility. And yet he's a man's man. Had these 12 guys followed him right to the death. Peter was crucified upside down, as the legend goes. These men gave their lives for this man. Of course he was a man's man. And yet he was humble and meek. He laid down his rights. Didn't always demand that he was right. Didn't always demand his rights. He laid down his rights made himself nothing in order to become an example to all of us of what sacrificial love and servanthood is all about. And so real men follow his example. And then we must understand her need for headship. Headship. When speaking of male headship, the Bible is very clear. Ephesians chapter 5 says, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So that ought to cause us husbands, men, to pause a moment and ask, what kind of headship did Jesus offer to the church? What was his headship like? Was it harsh? 
or loving? Was it domineering or gentle? Was it proud or humble? See, Christ loved the church so much that he never, ever did anything harsh to the church. Never. He never did anything that was unfitting or inappropriate. He never told any jokes about his bride in public. Didn't do that. He never did anything angry or unjust when it came to his bride, the church. He loved the church so much that he gave up his life so that she might live. This is the model of headship that godly husbands ought to follow. Jesus came to serve, and so must we. Jesus came to pour out his life for his bride, and so should we. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, but to serve his bride, so should we. And that spirit, that, that, that generates a servant leadership, servant headship in the home, not domineering headship. Domineering headship is sinful, and it ought to be confronted. And we ought to get in the face of guys who are mistreating their wives and then declaring, I'm the head of the home. That's a bunch of wrong thinking. And we ought to say so. We ought to declare it. Another sermon for another time. Finally, we must understand her love language. And I, I don't think I had a verse to support that, but it's the Bible, you know, Jesus, God, and the Bible support that. <laughs> I, I would highly, 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 highly recommend that you get the book by Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages and read it. It's a simple read, it's a good read, it's a profound read, it's a powerful read. And there are millions and millions of copies uh, around the world in all kinds of languages. This book is so helpful in teaching us how to learn what other people's love language is. And the, the problem that, the, the, the mistake that we make often is that we, we tend to communicate love to our loved ones, to our spouses, in the same language that we appreciate the most. You know, so if, if for example, my, my love language is words of affirmation. Kids will say to me, Patty will say, what do you want for your birthday? Oh, just write me a letter. And tell, tell me how great a dad I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> almost have to invite that. Uh, so if, if that's, if I'm always just giving people words of affirmation when, when in fact their love language is quality time. I never spend any time with them. I just tell them how much I love them and appreciate them. But I never go for coffee or go for a walk or that. Then they're not feeling the love. You see what I mean? So we tend to communicate to our wives out of our love language, not theirs. We don't know what their love language is, but if we read the book and she did the little test or we went online to whatever it's called, fivelovelanguages.com. There's a little online thing that you can do and kind of preliminarily out gives you your love language. Then you can start loving your wife in her love language, not yours. If her words of affirmation and her, her love language is words of affirmation, she just wants you to say, I love you. 
You say, for heaven's sake, I told you that the day we got married. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. No, 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 no. Not a good idea, guys. Really not a good idea. So you're, by now you're thinking, hokey dinah. This, this living with your wife in an understanding way, I'm feeling the burden on my back, pastor. This is heavy. Yeah, you're right, it is. It's hard work. Watch my lips. It's hard work to live with your wife in an understanding way. But God has called us to do this. It's what he said we need to do. We need to live with our wives in an understanding way. So, by his grace and by his mercy, we shall learn how. Amen? Okay. There were some male voices in there. Good to hear. Let's go on to obligation number two. Show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. So you learn about her needs, and you understand her as best you can, and you, you keep her safe and secure, and you communicate with her according to her love language, not yours. And then in the last part of verse 7, he says, show her honor. Yeah. Treat her with respect because she's a weaker vessel. If I was going to translate that today, I'd say because she's like a piece of fine china, which kind of puts it in a little nicer way. She's not weaker intellectually. Oh, we know that. We all married up. We all married up. She's not weaker intellectually. She's not weaker uh, morally. She doesn't have a weaker capacity to connect with God. Spiritually, she's not weaker. She's not weaker when it comes to courage or communication or things like that. But generally speaking, and there are always exceptions to general rules, right? Generally speaking, men are stronger physically than women. Why does he state that? It's, that that's an obvious thing. Perhaps. Why, why is he stating that here in 1 Peter 3? I think it's because it, it means that the husband must build in the principle of physical limitations and also be aware of the emotional pressure that comes with that reality. I don't know about your wife, but my wife gets frustrated sometimes when she can't do certain things physically. And that's what she calls me. Hey, can you come and do this for me? And I come and I can't because I'm weak too, but no. <laughs> Listen, seriously though, a lot of marriages experience extreme difficulty simply because the guy expects the woman to do her share. You know, do, do what women do. You know, so she's expected by her husband to raise the kids, do all that, look after the house, do the laundry, plant the garden, work full time, cook all the meals, and then perform like a gymnast in bed four nights a week. Right? And you're going, come on, you guys. Get real. You, you can honor your wife in part by, by simply recognizing the fact that she is not as strong as you are physically, and because of that, she struggles emotionally with some things. And, 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 and enter into that world by taking on more responsibility at home. Say, so, whoa, I work 45 hours a week. So does she. 
Well, I got a lot of stress in my life. You know, I, got, I want to come home and relax. So does she. You honor your wife by taking on a little more responsibility at home. Can I hear an amen from the men? Amen. Okay, that's kind of weak, but we're getting there. <laughs> honor your wife, okay? Your wife is a treasure. She's a treasure. You need to cherish her. She occupies a highly exalted position in the kingdom. She should be at the top of your priority list every day. You should respect your wife every day. And you should insist that your kids respect their mother every day too. Insist on it. Don't let the rugrats disrespect your wife. That is not right. Your role as a husband is to keep, make sure those, those kids respect their mother. Obligation number three. Follow the principle of spiritual equality. And I really like the way that the uh, New Living Translation renders the second half of the verse. She may be weaker than you are physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Amen, amen. Husband, wife, created equal by God. Adam was created first, then Eve created out of Adam's side. Both were called by God. Both were given the gifts of repentance and faith and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Both received spiritual gifts, at least one. Sometimes multiple gifts. Both called to be disciples. Both invited to be disciple makers. You see, we are equal partners in God's gift of life. We are spiritual equals. But we have different roles and responsibilities in the home and in the church. Equal but different. And it's a wonderful thing. If we were equal and the same, we'd be in trouble. Husbands, love your wives with unconditional love. Wives, respect your husbands with unconditional respect. Love and respect. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor, talks about the time that he... uh, went to a friend's wedding and stood up in a, a friend's wedding. After the, after the wedding rehearsal, the wedding party went out to an upscale place to have a bite to eat. And at one point in the conversation, two of these ladies uh, talking to Andy's pa- Andy Stanley, who's a pastor, said, Andy, I heard a preacher say once that the man has to be the head of the home because a two-headed home is like a two-headed monster. So do you believe that? Do you believe that the man is supposed to be the head? Andy took a long, deep breath, (laughs) like I would likely do in a public setting like that, talking with a gal who probably had one or two shots too many. Uh, And then he said this. This is what he said. Before I answer your question, imagine that you're married to a man who genuinely believes that you are the most fantastic person on the planet. Okay, And he's crazy about you. You have no doubt that your happiness is his number one priority. He listens to you when you talk. He honors you in public. To use an old-fashioned term, he cherishes you. He's not afraid to make a decision. He values your opinions. He leads, but he listens carefully to what you say. He's responsible. He's not argumentative. You have no doubt that he would give his life for you if the need arose. You never worry about him being unfaithful. In fact, to quote an old flamingo song, he only has eyes for you. And then Andy said, 
So when I, I finished, I paused and said, now, would either of you ladies have trouble following a man like that? And the girl to my right blurted out, well, hell no, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> and everybody laughed. You, you see, it's just so much easier to submit to someone who has your best interests at heart. You say, well, I'm not married, so it doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it does. The same principle applies. If you're working for an employer who's not just concerned about the bottom line and profits, you're working for a guy who, who, who's concerned about your, or, or a woman, who's concerned about your work-life balance and asks you about your, 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 your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids and you know, is genuinely interesting, it's easier to, to kind of submit to that, that kind of leadership in, in the workplace. When, when you're convinced that that person has your best interest at heart, he's not just concerned about making a huge profit. And so in a marriage, when you're absolutely convinced that your partner has your best interest at heart, it's not, it's not difficult to submit. And Ephesians 5.21 says we're supposed to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. See, it's much easier to submit to someone who has your best interest in mind. There's no fear. There's no reason to resist. There's no reason to push back. So husbands, we got our work cut out for us. We have our work cut out for us. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. Follow the principle of spiritual equality. Put her first. Always, every day, without fail. Put her first. According to 1 Peter 3, 7, that's our obligation. And that's our privilege as Christian husbands to love our wives just like Jesus loved the church. So, biblical headship for the husband is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. And, and guys, if, if we do that, if we can do that, if we can just do that, and biblical submission for our wives would be much easier. Biblical submission for the wife, on the other hand, is the divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. So they're working together, they're working in tandem. And when we follow God's idea of marriage, then he is most glorified and we are most satisfied. It's a happy life. Happy wife, happy life. And I think I'm an optimist when it comes to these things. I happen to believe that every man in this room today really wants this kind of marriage. I believe that every man here wants to really follow God's idea of marriage and fulfill his obligations and responsibilities to his wife, to his kids, and to his children's children. I believe that. With all my heart, I do. But for whatever reason, not all of us have been walking in this way. You know, we just... Somewhere we got off track or we keep getting off track at a certain point. 
Yesterday, one of the guys uh, who's a friend of mine here at the gathering sent an email to me and a bunch of other guys at the gathering. And after the joke was over, he said, you know, I'm really looking forward to the message tomorrow and the challenges that it will bring. Now, now that he's heard it, I don't know if he feels that way still, but... And then he wrote this. He said, churches and the gathering included desperately need fully committed men of God. Amen? He said, let's walk this path together, men, holding each other up before the Lord and holding each other accountable. And I went, oh, God, yes. And so, guys, that's what I need to do today as your your friend. And as your pastor, I need to hold you accountable to this teaching from God's Word. Are you living with your wife in an understanding way? Are you? Does she feel like you get her? That you understand her needs? Are you showing honor to your wife every day of the year, not just on Mother's Day? And are you following the, the principle of, of spiritual equality and encouraging and, and, and mentoring your wife in, in the things of the Lord? Are you growing together? Do you honor her, her connection with God and listen to her ideas and her thoughts and her dreams? I mean, that's what God is calling us to do. And I urge you to do it not just because it's your obligation, but because it will bring glory to God. It will bring glory to God. God will look down on you and go, oh, finally, he gets it. You know, that brings glory to God. Churches like the gathering desperately need fully committed men of God. Amen. I agree with that. So let's pray into that. Let's pray together now.